sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on October 25th, 2015, on the basis of Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Whenever an idea is being spread that is perceived to be either dangerous or damaging, it is only natural to want to silence it. That's why, for example, the history of censorship in our world is so very long and so very elaborate. It's why back in 400 B.C., the great Greek philosopher Socrates was forced to drink poison for allegedly corrupting the youth of Athens with his radical ideas. It's why on one day in 1933, university students from all across Germany burned thousands and thousands and thousands of books in an attempt to rid their land of all un-German thought. That's why even today in China, much of the content that you and I can access via the Internet is blocked to people, including sites like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. That's why even in our country, where we prize and we protect freedom of speech, there is a fair amount of censorship that goes on in the interest of national security, controlling obscenity, and protecting the vulnerable. Whenever an idea is being spread that people perceive to be dangerous or damaging, it's only natural to want to try to silence it. So in our lives as Christians and in our work as a church, should we? For the past several weeks of this series, we've been focusing on what you might call the central truth of our Christian faith, this idea that we call the gospel. And that gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done to save us from our sins, is the only way to heaven. Believing that gospel is our only hope and our children's only hope for eternal life, which means that any and all ideas that are contrary to the gospel are as dangerous and as damaging as can be. And so as we try to spread that gospel, should we also censor those ideas that are to the contrary? As we focus on our work of spreading the gospel, should we also be concerned about silencing our opposition? The opposition is exactly what the Apostle John saw so vividly at the beginning of this section of the book of Revelation where the verses in front of us today are found. As I mentioned in the children's sermon, John starts by seeing this big, ferocious red dragon who represents Satan. And we're told that Satan's one objective is to deceive people. His one goal is to lead people away from God by telling lies. In fact, John sees the lies that come from Satan's mouth as if they are flowing water. I don't know about you, but I hear that picture and I have sort of traumatic flashbacks to episodes in restaurants where one of the kids knocks over a glass of milk on the table. And you try as hard as you can to keep that milk from falling to the floor. You try as hard as you can to keep it from falling on your lap. You try as hard as you can to keep it from touching every single dish, every single piece of silverware, every single napkin on the table. But, but as you well know, once liquid is out, it's pretty hard to contain, isn't it? 
The devil's lies are like flowing water. In fact, they're like a roaring river that sweeps away everyone who stands in its path. John's vision goes on as he sees two ferocious-looking beasts, the dragon's two best buddies. These beasts represent corrupt versions of two powerful institutions on earth, the church and government. That's right, two institutions established by God, two institutions that were intended by God to be among society's biggest blessings, two institutions that have probably the most influence and power in our world are infiltrated by the devil, infused with his lies, and used by him to lead people away from God. A dragon and two beasts, that's whom we as Christians are up against. Those are our enemies. And it's no wonder when you look at John's description of our enemy in this section of God's word, it's no wonder that there is so much devil worship going on in our world. Now, I'm not talking about official devil worship, part of what is known as the occult. I'm talking about unofficial devil worship. After all, if the devil's one goal is to lead us astray by using lies, then whenever people buy into those lies, they really are giving glory to and paying homage to the one who tells them, are they not? And without a doubt, the devil's lies can take all kinds of different forms. But there is one common thread that runs through each and every one of them. In fact, going all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, there has been one basic idea that the devil wants people to believe, and that idea is this. Your God is no good. So the devil says to Adam and Eve, Hey, why don't you eat this fruit? If you do, your eyes will be opened. You will be more like God. And the fact that God has told you not to eat of it means that he doesn't want that. Why? Because your God is no good. The devil still says, Hey, Christians, you deserve to follow your heart. If there is something deep inside of you that is telling you to act a certain way, you deserve to just go for it. If it's how you think, if it's how you feel, then no one should tell you that you can't do that or you can't have that. And in fact, if God is the one telling you that you shouldn't do that, there can be only one explanation. Your God is no good. Hey, Christians, why are you putting yourselves through all of these struggles? Why are you staying in that marriage, even if it clearly just isn't meant to be? Why are you conducting all of your business completely above board, even when so many people are cutting corners? Why are you fighting against certain behaviors when clearly, deep down, that's what you want to do? There's only one reason why someone would tell you to embrace those struggles rather than do anything you can to free yourself from them, and it's because your God is no good. Hey, Christians, you know all that time that you have? You know all that money that you have? You better spend it real carefully. There's only so much before it runs out. An hour for church every single week? Two hours if you think about Bible class? Even more if you talk about personal devotions and family devotions? Generous contributions? 
to the work of your church through your offerings? Who can afford that? If you spend all of that time and all of that money on God, you can be sure that you won't have enough left over to pay the bills. That God can't possibly take care of you because your God is no good. You see, friends, the lies of the devil are are like this roaring river. But that water is not contained between two neat and tidy banks somewhere out there. That river has tributaries. And those tributaries have tributaries. And those liquid lies that the devil likes to tell continue to creep and continue to seep until they find their way under the doors of our homes, under the doors of our church, under the doors of our own heart, often without us even realizing it. And the more we buy into those lies, the more the devil's eyes light up as he sees his ultimate prize, his goal of leading us and leading our children away from God for good. So does it seem a bit strange that God doesn't stop him? Does it seem a bit strange that God just lets him spread those lies? That's one thing that John's revelation and really the entire Bible makes clear, that the dragon and his beast will continue to do this work until the end of time, until Jesus comes back. Jesus will not silence the opposition by censoring our enemy's lies. And yet Jesus also makes us this incredible promise today that in spite of what the devil is doing in our world, his gospel will always be heard. That's really what brings us to the verses, the two short verses that are in front of us today. Next, John sees this angel that flies out into the air and preaches the gospel. And John sees that this gospel is heard by every single nation on earth. There's not a single place where the voice of the gospel is not heard. In fact, John sees it and John calls it the eternal gospel, which means that this will always be the case. The gospel will always be heard in our world. In fact, perhaps most interesting is where this angel is doing his work. He's described as being in midair. So the dragon and his beasts are down here on earth doing their very best, raging against God, and this angel is in midair, unapproachable, unreachable, unstoppable. Sort of like the teacher that walks out onto the playground at recess and needs to take away that ball that all the kindergartners are fighting over and just holds it up out of reach. And there they are jumping and swiping and doing their best to get that ball back, but with absolute ease, the teacher can just hold it up, unreachable, unapproachable, unstoppable. Jesus promises that in spite of the devil's best efforts to spread his lies throughout our world, the voice of the gospel will always be heard. And that angel in these verses also tells us why that is the case. You see, as he implores people to worship God, to give God glory rather than paying homage to the devil and his lies, he bases that call on one simple fact. He says, The hour of God's judgment has come. Now, when we hear that word judgment, we might be tempted to think of our own judgment. We might be tempted to think of judgment day. Don't. 
That judgment is still coming. That judgment is in the future. Here it says that this judgment has come. The angel is talking about the devil's judgment. He's talking about the day when Satan's work was destroyed. When all of the devil's intentions were undone and when all of the devil's lies were exposed. He's talking about the day when God himself took on our human flesh and blood. He's talking about the day when God himself took on all of our sin and guilt. When God himself paid our penalty. When God himself died our death. He's talking about Jesus' death on the cross. The day that proves that all of those devil's claims that your God is no good are patently false. The day that proves beyond all shadow of a doubt that the opposite is true. Not that your God is no good, but that your God is so very good. That's why God has no need to silence the opposition by censoring the devil's lies. He has already silenced the opposition once and for all by simply showing our enemy to be a liar. In fact, you know it's true that not every idea that is potentially damaging in our world needs to be censored, needs to be silenced. Imagine for a moment if after church you went over to Quick Trip and there was a man out in front of the store with one of those big cardboard signs and the sign said, Elvis is alive. Imagine that at our local public library, someone rented out the community room and decided to give an elaborate presentation about how we never really landed on the moon and how the whole thing was just a big hoax perpetrated by NASA. Imagine if someone took out an ad in the local paper, a full-page ad, imploring the citizens of Dane County to start stockpiling essentials in their basements because the Martians are going to invade at any given moment. Would you feel the need the overwhelming need for those people to be silenced. Not really, right? Because those ideas are so obviously false and so obviously foolish. And that's exactly why God can continue to let the devil simply spread his lies. He doesn't need to censor the enemy's lies because he has already shown the enemy to be a liar. The devil can tell us all he wants that our God is no good. The cross of Jesus proves that our God is so good, doesn't it? In fact, today of all days is kind of a good day to remember this and to see proof that Jesus' promise will always be kept. It's sort of interesting that these words that we're looking at today were written by John while he was being censored. Toward the end of his life, the Apostle John had been exiled to the island of Patmos by the Roman government in an attempt to silence him from spreading the good news about Jesus. And yet here we are reading his words. In spite of all of that censorship, the gospel got out. It's also interesting that we're here remembering the Reformation, started by Martin Luther almost 500 years ago. He too was censored. Within just a few years of him starting to challenge the teachings of the church, the Pope decreed that all of his books should be burned, that he should take back everything that he ever said, and the emperor declared him to be an outlaw, public enemy number one. 
And yet here we are, remembering the truth of God's word that he helped clarify. In spite of all that censorship, the gospel got out. In fact, that's what makes the Reformation such an important and remarkable event. From a human perspective, it seems as though it seemed as though Satan had silenced the gospel completely. Even Martin Luther himself was spending every waking moment of his life trying to earn God's salvation. And yet he still viewed God as this cruel, angry judge. Satan had convinced him that his God was no good. But then Martin Luther stumbled upon that passage from Romans that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. That passage that tells us that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and that righteousness is by faith from first to last. What Martin Luther couldn't earn with even his best efforts, God freely gave him as a gift. And so Martin Luther rediscovered that his God was so very good. It's no wonder that as Luther wrote that Reformation hymn, he dedicated an entire stanza, stanza number three, to our great enemy, the devil. He wrote, Though devils all the world should fill, all eager to devour us, we tremble not. We fear no ill. They cannot overpower us. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can foul him. Can you guess what word Luther had in mind? Kids, are you listening to this? Here it comes. Luther knew that the devil would still try and convince him that his God was no good. The devil would say, you haven't done enough. You haven't been good enough. God can't possibly love you. God can't possibly welcome you into heaven. But because he had rediscovered the gospel, Luther knew that he could confidently reply, as can we. Satan, you tell me my God is no good? The cross proves that my God is so very good. And so one little word describes you, devil. You, sir, are a liar. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.